can I just tell you that God loves you so much? That he loves you. And it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to find out answers. And uh, we would never want you to leave here today without some of those questions answered. But I'm going to tell you that he is a God of hope. And he can fill your heart with hope. And he can bring that hope to a new place. Now, um, I, I just want to take a moment and pray for our Bible study. And then we'll get into it. So let's do that. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you. Holy Spirit, that you can lead and guide this time, that you would bless, Lord, every word that comes out of my mouth. You would help me to get out of the way and for you to be glorified. Lord Jesus, I pray we want to honor you today. So we take a moment, we steady our hearts, we, we just say, Lord, here's my life, here I am. I'm here to learn from you. I pray for anybody that doesn't know you, doesn't know how much you love them yet. God, that you would bless this time for them too. That this wouldn't just be a religious experience, but it would be maybe a beginning of a relationship for them. And uh, we just ask now, Holy Spirit, guide and direct. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, here's a question. How are you wired? How are you wired? Are you a type A person? Or are you kind of a kickback, relaxed person? Are you a joyful, bubbly person? Or are you kind of like, eh, eh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit more, I don't like talking so much. Are extrovert, introvert, you know? Are you more creative or are you maybe more of an engineer? Uh, which, uh, are you both? Are you all those things? Are you, you know, a combination? And so it's interesting how God has wired each of us differently. If you're married, you know that. You have found out because your spouse is probably a perfect complement to some of the things that you don't have in your life. That's what I love about marriage because God will use that to challenge you. Will he not marry couples? Yes, he will force you to realize, hey, I am not perfect. And as you look at your wife's wiring and your wiring and even though sometimes man it it may bounce off of each other sometimes god wants to use it just to refine you to help you grow closer to him to help you understand a little bit better about why i've made them differently why i've made you differently now here's the thing i also believe that god has wired us to have incredible hope in our life i really believe that you know they did a they did a study on infants if you can imagine they did a study on infants that actually discovered that if they showed infants a, a situation where a character came in and intervened and saved someone from trouble, that they, they would identify with that character that came in. So uh, the, the one who saved them was their hero, if you would. And so if they dressed that if they had a lifelike person dressed in that character's costume, the infants would gravitate towards that, towards that character as opposed to the other character who blew the, blew the hurting person off. They did that study because they were trying to figure out why are so many people stuck on superheroes? You know, because literally it is amazing. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Endgame, I love it. I went to it. I'm going to go again. It was an amazing movie, right? But here's the idea. We are looking at it and we go, man, it's, it's like, wow, this, 
we know it's, I mean, I'm sorry if this, is, it's, this hurts your feelings, but we know superheroes aren't real. I mean, right? We know. And some of you are going, no, they are. They could be. It could be possible. But we know it's not all real. But yet, man, we love it. When I was in the theater and Gabby and I were watching Endgame, which I forced her to go to because she didn't know anything about it, but we loved it anyway. But the people, as I mentioned before, they were going nuts. And when they went nuts was when a new superhero would enter the picture that they loved. And they were coming to the rescue to intervene. And I'm not kidding you, that place was nuts. It was like a sports game. Everybody just went, yeah! And Gabby's going, I feel like an alien here. What am I doing? Because she didn't understand. I was, of course, yelling, cheering, standing up with my comrades in arms. Yes, crying, doing it all. I did it all. Yes. But the idea is this. God wires you. I believe he wires us to have that heart to have somebody that would come and save us. And you see, Jesus, God, in the flesh, he leaves heaven, comes down, and he actually, yeah, he's not, he's not a superhero with fake powers. He has real power. He is the ultimate power. And he comes down and he says, hey, I, I am going to lay down my life and, and die on a cross and, and, and pay the price for your sins and mine, and for you and me. And he's going to pay our, our sins price, the payment, and he's going to do it. But also, he's going to give you the hope of eternal life. Now, we look and we say, well, that's that hope of eternal life, too. Because I believe we're wired for hope for this Savior, but we're also wired for hope for this eternal life. Ecclesiastes says it this way. Check out this, this verse. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. See, God's planted eternity in every human heart. Think about that. And it makes sense because if you look at history, the Egyptians, when they would bury people and mummify them, they would put all sorts of things with them in order to carry on for the afterlife. So if you found beds or furniture or jewels or makeup or whatever, they would have it there because they felt like you're going to need this in the afterlife. So there was this in their heart, there is something after. We're not sure what, but we're going to take all this stuff with us because we want to get there. Now, I know that there's been a survey that said 70% of people, you think it'd be higher, but 70% believe there is an afterlife. And, and the Greeks did the same thing. Remember, if a corpse of a Greek, they would put a coin in their mouth and that and that that was because they would need to pay the fare to get across the river to get to the paradise. Yeah, it was seen throughout history. And, and for you and I, I believe that God points it to us and says, man, I believe we're wired for hope. I believe we're wired for hope. And I believe Jesus is the greatest hope giver. You know, it's this opportunity for us to... Look at this verse in Romans 15 to remind you of how we serve a God of hope. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's a God of hope, and he wants to 
fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So I have this joy and peace in believing. And then that you abound in hope, that it's overflowing hope. Do you have that kind of hope for your marriage? Do you have that kind of hope for your future? Do you have that kind of hope for your kids? Do you have that kind of hope for your job, for your school, for your exams, whatever it may be? You go, well, Lord, I, I, I want to... I believe you're wired for hope, but I believe there's a God who is the God of hope that can actually answer the cries of our heart. If we actually say, well, God, I need your help. I need your help. I need your wisdom. And Jesus, he's the ultimate hope giver. You know, it's that opportunity where we look today at this story in Luke chapter 20. And it's funny because Jesus has been interrogated basically by He's going to be by three different sets of people. Uh, first, they, they wanted to know by what authority he's doing these things. And then it was, are you going to pay taxes? And should we pay Caesar taxes? We talked about that. And now the interrogation is going to be something completely odd. But what Jesus does is he's going to take this crazy story. He's going to flip it around and he's going to show us the hope that he can bring. And I believe that's what we're going to break down today. So check it out. Luke chapter 20, I want to pick it up in verse 27. And some of the Sadducees who deny that there's a resurrection came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and he dies without children, his brother should take the wife and raise up the offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers and the first took a wife and died without children. And the second took her as a wife and he died childless. Then the third took her and like manner, the seven also, and they left no children and died. Last of all, the woman died also, and therefore in the resurrection, whose wife does she become? For all seven had her as a wife. It's like, whose wife is she anyway? It's a reality show, right? It's like, can you imagine this crazy story? Now, let me give you a backdrop real quick. Okay, so the Sadducees, they did not believe in heaven or hell. They did not believe in an afterlife. And you may be in that camp today. But they didn't believe in that. They didn't believe in, uh, in fact, they only held on to the first five books of what you would consider to be the Old Testament. They didn't believe any of the other prophets or any of the minors or anything else. They just believed in those first five books. That's what they held on to. And so they also, they, they didn't have any hope. They didn't believe that, wow, there was something beyond this life. They didn't believe there was an afterlife. And that's why many pastors will joke, that's why they were sad. You see? Okay. <laughs> there you go. Bad joke, I know. It's old. It's old, yes. But that's the whole thing. It was like, well, why didn't they why didn't they have any hope? I mean, well, they just didn't they didn't believe. And so what they're doing is they come up with this story because they're gonna say, Oh, we'll catch Jesus in this story. Here's what we'll do. Well, because he believes that there's this resurrection, what we're gonna do is we're gonna ask him, Well, if there's a resurrection, well, whose whose wife is she anyway? I mean, and, and really if you think about it, when you logically, if you're a potential husband, if you're the you're the brother, wouldn't you be asking another question? 
Like, how did those other guys die, right? If you're the fourth brother in line, aren't you going, okay, I'd, I'd be huddling up with my other brothers, five, six, seven, and saying, hey, I think we got to talk about this. I'm seeing a trend here, you know? What is she putting in the matzo ball soup? I'm not sure because I don't want to go in there. That I, I'm not entering into that. Oh, no, you've got to. No, 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 guys, we've got to figure out what is wrong here. No, they want to ask, well, whose wife is she anyway in the resurrection? And here's what I love about Jesus. He gives the ultimate answer, which is clarity to everything. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But can I just say to you, whether it's the guys who are asking about taxes or the guys who are saying his authority, Jesus, if you didn't know this, gives you and I the hope of wisdom. Because he answers these statements, these questioners, these people, he answers them in ways that, man, you and I, it's, it's kind of like, well, how do, I, how do I do that? Check it out, if you would. It's uh, James chapter 1, verse 5, and uh, it's this opportunity where Jesus, we see, answers every discussion and every conversation, but God writes it this way, if you lack wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So if you're lacking wisdom, this is the time where you go, well, let me ask God. I have a good friend. He's on our part of our church here, and he's taking his boards and doing things for med school, and, and, and I was just praying for wisdom for him. I said, man, just ask God for wisdom. Just keep asking for wisdom. I mean, he's a sharp guy, and I, I think he could probably study and, and just do everything on his own, but there's nothing wrong with saying, well, God, do you have extra resources that I could maybe use for this test right now? I mean, why not, right? If I only knew that when I was a kid in class, I could have cried out to God, God, please, what is the answer to this? But I need his wisdom, and here's what Proverbs tells us, and I don't know if you know, but there's a whole book in the Bible all about wisdom. Did you know that? It's called Proverbs. Every day. In fact, there's 31 of them. So every day you could actually read a proverb according to the date on your calendar. So today you could read Proverbs chapter 5. And you know, you'll find in Proverbs 4, check it out. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Don't forsake her and she'll preserve, preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she'll promote you. She will bring, she will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Yeah, it's wisdom. And it's, some of the ladies are going, I like how it says she will, because that just makes sense. Wisdom, she, yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. Husbands know that. Like, hmm, she's way smarter than I thought. Yes. It's, it's that opportunity for us to say, Lord, when we look at Jesus, right, and we say, wow, Jesus has got so many great answers, right? It, it, he he is able to answer all these guys with incredible wisdom. Last week we talked about give to Caesar and to Caesar, give to God what's in God. You know, render to God what's God. And here today he's about to answer these guys and he gives them an incredibly wise answer. But I pray for you and for me that we would operate in wisdom. Now check out, here, here's 
this story, this Leveret law is based in Deuteronomy, and it just talks about what they're bringing up is that if, if a brother's, you know, uh, brother, he, he dies, then he's actually going to have to go in and take her as his wife if they didn't have kids. And then because they're trying to carry on the family name, and if they never have children, then it's the next brother and the next brother. So that's why these guys were doing it. It was a crazy example. It wasn't, you know, something that was realistic, and nobody could give you an answer for it. Um, Certainly, if you're one of the younger brothers, you're probably checking out your older brother's wives to make sure that they look okay and feel okay. And it's just like, yeah, this is a good, I would marry her for sure. Yeah. Yeah, in case something happens to you, buddy. But uh, I think there's something about this hope that Jesus brings that, man, look, look what he says in verse 34. Jesus answered and said to them, now, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. So what he's saying is when you're living on earth here, you're going to marry and you're going to give in marriage. You're going to procreate. There's going to be things going on. But then he says this, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore for they're equal to the angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. So wait a second, wait a second. What's he saying? Because some of you, I know some of you have um, incredible marriages and you love your spouses and you're looking at this going, wait, what is it saying? That we're not going to, nor can, wait, they're not going to marry nor given in marriage? Does that mean we're not going to be married in heaven? What? No, it's for here. And so Jesus is basically pointing out that this marriage, which is a picture of really Christ is the bridegroom, we are the bride and It's this relationship. It's this beautiful picture of this relationship we can have with God. And marriage is a great witness for that. But this deep love that you have right here, can I just say in heaven, there's a hope of an even deeper love. Isn't that crazy? And some of you are going, man, that that is the best because I, I can't. I'm sure you're looking at your spouse, squeezing them right now like, I love you so much right now. But, man, to love you that much more, what, what is that going to even look like? Can I say that we don't even know really how that's all going to work? But what we do know, what we for sure know, is that the hope of a deeper love is going to happen in heaven because you're going to have the love of God and you're going to have a love for your spouse. You're going to have a love for your friends that goes way deeper than what we do right now. Think about that. So you're not going to have marriage in heaven. It's, but will we know each other? Sure, you're going to know each other. God's going to give you all this understanding. But how does that work? And for some, you're going, wait, wait, wait. You mean that everything's gone, like we're not, what, what are we not doing? How does that work? I don't, I, 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 are you kidding me? Like what heaven I thought was, what? I, I could have sworn there's sex in heaven. Is there not sex in heaven? No, there wouldn't be sex in heaven. Now wait, because why? Because we are so humanly minded that we do not have a heavenly body yet and we don't have a heavenly mind and we're just going to be blown away once we get there. And the love of God is going to be so much greater that we're going to start loving people. We're going to love each other in a way that goes way deeper than we love each other right now. And right now we have that pleasure to do that. And so we have this opportunity where we say, well, wait, wait, I, I have this opportunity to go deeper and I believe that there's this hope 
and some of you, the hope is, well, I want to encourage you married couples. Make the most of your marriage right now. Like, make it the best it could ever be. Because when you get to heaven, there's no more working on it. It's like, now's the time. Now's the time to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now's the time, ladies, to just respect your husband, to come alongside, to be that support and encourager. Now's the time to work as a team. Now's the time. You know, in singles, when you're looking for that perfect spouse, when you're looking for that person, man, you realize you want somebody that is going to do all those things, that's going to be that person that follows after the word of God, that's going to love you the way that God wants you to love and, and do the things that you would do in a marriage that you say, man, I have the hope of the deepest love. Because let's be honest, marriage isn't easy. You get on earth and you, some of you may be saying, well, if what, there's no marriage, so I, I, some marriages are bad. And they may be saying, I'm looking forward to heaven then. Okay. And I know that's funny, but it's true, right? Because we could have just had a fight yesterday. You could have just said something you didn't want to say. You could, have, you could have had your spouse say something to you that was so hurtful and vindictive and backstabbing. You felt like, you know what? I'm never going to forgive. In fact, I'm going to put a wall up and I'm going to kind of move onward. And I believe that this is a great opportunity for us just to go, wait, 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 wait. If there's a deeper love in heaven, then what kind of love am I showing right now? Lord, what kind of love do you want me to show my wife, my husband, for those of you women? Which, which is it? Which is it for you that you go, wow, I, I need to work on that? Here, go back and check out what Matthew talks about. This is how Jesus answers them in Matthew. when he. This is the wisdom of Jesus, right? Jesus answers them, same, same story, and this is his answer. You are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. So in other words, the Sadducees didn't believe in the afterlife. They thought, well, there's going to be marriage in heaven, right? So who's this guy going to marry? Or excuse me, whose who's husband is she or whose wife is she anyway if you've got seven different husbands? And Jesus is saying, you guys are mistaken. There's not even going to be marriage in heaven. And so you guys not knowing the scriptures or the power of God, because here's the idea for you and I. Here's the next thought. Uh, the, the hope we have is in his word and his power. We have hope in his word and his power because there is power in his word. The promises of God's word are so incredibly deep. And I know that we say that every week, but do you realize that the whole Bible is all about Jesus? That you read it and you you can go through it and it points to him and the Old Testament will point to him and the New Testament will speak about him, but it will tell us about the character of who God is and how we can be more like him. And so we look and we say, wow, this is the hope of his word. Listen to this verse in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. It says this, this is what Jesus walking with these two men after his resurrection, and this is the road to Emmaus, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Do you understand? So he used from Moses to all the prophets all the scriptures that concerned him. He, they didn't have a New Testament then. You know, it wasn't out yet. They only had what they had. And so Jesus took all those things they had, and he said, hey, I'm going to tell you, why I am who I am. 
And that's why the word of God is so powerful. We know that 2 Timothy 3 tells us that, you know, we talked about it the other week, that God has breathed these words into our life, you know, that their their inspiration of God is breathed by God. And it it is good for uh, all these things, instruction and righteousness, for doctrine, reproof, correction, that that the man of God may be complete. And so we, we want to look at the word of God. And I know we say it all the time here, but we don't want Sundays to be your only time to be in God's word because, man, there is so much good stuff in here that can apply to your life, not just Proverbs, not just Psalms, but throughout God's word. And I know it's hard because sometimes it's like, well, I don't, I don't, really, I don't really have an understanding of how to do it. And I think just getting into it simply and discovering who God is is a great way. I, I believe there's so much that we can have a strategy to go at it. You know, have you ever been to one of those incredible buffets, like the all-you-can-eat, but like the off-the-chart, really nice ones with the, you know, stone crab, shrimp, and then they've got like sushi over here, and then they've got salads over here. How many are getting hungry right now? they got the carving station. They've got the, the meats, the chicken. they got everything, right? They have it all. Well, is there not, like, how many of you actually eat a big lunch before you go to that? Nobody does. Everybody has a strategy. Before I go to a massive buffet like that where I'm spending all sorts of money, I have a strategy. I'm going to take a little bit of this. I'm going to take a little bit of that. And then I'm going to go back. And then I'm going to just sit there for a little bit. And then I'm going to go back again. I know this sounds gluttonous, but if you're going to pay for it, I want to get my money's worth. How many are with me? Thank you very much. Roberto's the only one. Okay, good. Steve, thank you, McCrath. I appreciate you coming through for me. No, but Brandon would love that. But yeah, he's not allowed to go to buffets. There you go, Brandon. (laughs) But here's the idea. All right. You have a strategy. You're not just going to nibble. There's no way you're going to... Can you imagine you're with somebody and they go, I'm just going to have juice. (laughs) I'm just going to have juice in this little tomato salad. What are you talking about? There is a whole spread of food here. Why would you not go and get some of that? You just paid $49.95, or I did. And so you need to go eat. I would force them to eat. I would say, you are going to eat. That's all there is to it. Can I say that I believe sometimes that's how we treat the Word of God? It's like, well, I'm just going to have a little juice. So let me just get, I'll just take one little verse, and I'll get it from my devotional, which is awesome. There's devotionals. But I believe God has so much more richness for you and I. This is full of incredible goodness. But you have to have a strategy, and you have to say to yourself, Lord, help me to get to a place where I can just dig in and open up and and really hear what you would want to say to me. I don't want to just nibble. That's a, that's a thought for us. His word is too good to just nibble. It really is. And I, I, I'll be first to admit, I could read it more. Even though I'm a pastor and I read a lot because you're always studying and when you study, you always prepare more. But I think I could read more even for myself, you know. And I, and I know some of you, that's really foreign. It's like, well, why would, I, why would I even do it? But think about it. If you, even if you went through Proverbs, you're getting wisdom from God. He's giving you these incredible insights into life. And if I don't read it, I'll never know what those insights are. But if I allow myself to digest those things and dig in, man, I'm going to find out things about, wow, I didn't realize that. that. I need to apply that to my life, to my marriage, to my job, to wherever it may be. So we got to not nibble. And then, of course, it's, he said, 
It's you're mistaken in the word, the scriptures, but you're also mistaken in power. And the, and the second thought is this. It's, it's that he has all the power needed to transform a broken life. You see, look what Matthew chapter 22, verse 31 says. And this is, this is his, again, in Matthew and Luke, same thing, but a little different here. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Sadducees, you don't believe in the eternal life? What Jesus is saying is, but this is what God said in your first five books. He's quoting from Exodus. He's saying, hey, this is what's in your first five books. That he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. What does that mean? Well, he's not, it doesn't say I was the God because they're dead. He's saying I am the God because they're living. Do you get that? So he has the power to raise their life and the power to raise their life and still he has the power, I believe, to raise up your marriage, to raise up your, your problems, whatever it may be. You know, I was talking to people this last weekend. It was so amazing just to talk to them about some of their life experiences. And you heard Brian today, and man, his life, he didn't even go into details, but how God has, has just changed his life and, 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 and enabled him to rise up and say, yeah, I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, man. But I talked to somebody that you would probably never know. They were drug drug addict, complete drug addict. And you would never know it if you met them face to face. But what happened? Jesus came into life and totally changed them. And, And I talked to somebody else that was so depressed that they tried to commit suicide three different times. What happened? Jesus came into life and gave him value. Do you understand? He has the power to come into your life and change you. I've talked to many marriages that have fallen apart that you think, oh, it's just not possible. There's no forgiveness. There's just a wall built up and Jesus comes in and he brings a breakdown each of the people and all the different things that are going on in their individual hearts and the pride or the arrogance or whatever it may be and then brings them back together. And I know that it sounds too good to be true. But when you put your faith in Jesus, his power can change your life. I'm not guaranteeing you all the great things that you want. Oh, man, I want this and that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he can definitely help you through all the pain and the hurt and the difficulty that is in your life. Listen to what this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, and we love this verse, if anyone's in Christ... He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. He's a new creation. You and I become new creations when we come to know Jesus. When you submit your life to Jesus Christ, it's like you're surrendered to him and you put your faith and your trust in him. His power, his spirit, he comes to reside inside of you and he begins to change us so that the alcohol, the drugs or the sex or the whatever pornography or these things that were so important to us that we were in bondage to the depression, the discouragement, whatever it was, that doesn't captivate or keep us captive any longer. 
Because all of a sudden he breaks those chains, he breaks those bondage, and he says, hey, I'm going to set you free. Because he who is the son is free indeed. You have Jesus and you become free. Why? Well, because it's not just, oh, let me go ahead and fanciful language, just throw it out there. No, it's because he has the power of the resurrection to be able to raise people from the life. Do you not think he can raise you from whatever problems and troubles you're in, man? Amen. He can do whatever. And I don't, I don't know where you're at, what's going on, but I know that the Lord wants to do that. You know, in the, it, there is, in the 1800s, have you, if you've ever seen these Fiji islands and, and, you know, Fiji water, I don't know if you know about that, but Fiji water is very great. I love drinking Fiji water. It's like $14 a bottle. It's awesome. And so, but it's perfect. It's from Fiji, but it is really good water. But uh, anyway, they, in the 18, here's what's crazy. This is a vacation spot. People love to go there. In the 1800s, that was a cannibal island. Yeah, they would, they would eat people. They would roast them and eat them. And then missionaries like this guy, John Hunt, went in there and started sharing the gospel. And they literally would tell him, the king would tell him, do not close your windows because you don't want to smell the roasting of human flesh down the block and they, or we will kill you. And so they, they were, it was serious. But then the gospel began to permeate people's lives and that island began to change and people got saved. And now, now it's no longer a cannibal island. In fact, there was, a, there was this uh, atheist Frenchman who had gone there and after all of the revival that happened in the Fiji Islands, he's sitting around the campfire and he's laughing about at this Fijian who is telling him about how the word of God has changed his life. And he's laughing about the word of God. And as, as he does, the Fijian looks at him and says, hey man, I got to tell you, you laugh now about the word of God, but if you had been here uh, uh, five years ago, you would actually be in that pot boiling right there on the fire and I would be about to eat you. So, uh, <laughs> and it's a true story. So God took the cannibals and made them into Christians. God took these incredibly just horrific crimes and turned them into compassionate people. How? Because he changed them from the inside out. That's what he does. What's old is gone. What's new has come. Do you not think God can do that in your life? Seriously. I believe he can do anything. And I believe that he wants to. Check out, go back. It's uh, this last part in Luke. And check out what happens as Jesus kind of puts these guys, gives them a little instruction about all the things that are going on. And and this is that heart of heaven that you and I want to have. Uh, Jesus answered and said to them, okay, verse 34, the sons of the age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age, and we're going to talk about that in a second, and the resurrection from the dead. So he's talking about there is a resurrection from the dead, neither married nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and the sons of God being sons of the resurrection. So in other words, when you die in Christ, Paul said, to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And so what Jesus is teaching is that when you die, man, you're going to be in the presence of God, but you're never going to die again. You'll, you'll, You'll live on eternally. And that's his hope. And he says that, but even... Moses, and this is that verse, showed in the burning bush that the dead are raised. And then he called the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. It's the hope of heaven. The hope of heaven. And I know that 
you may think, well, what? How, how is that even related here? What is, what is Jesus saying? He's, he's saying that if you're going to be resurrected, there's a reason for it. It's not just, oh, man, it's this. It's going to go to a place that I'm not going to like. It's going to, it's going to be a place that's not full of love. It's going to, wait, then we're not going to have marriage. And you, you will not have a disappointment in heaven, I guarantee it. Look at all the verses about heaven. Check it out. Here's the hope. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. It's going to wipe away every tear. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, and it goes on. The 12th emesis. It's like all the jewels of the world that we worship are going to be in heaven. Check out this next verse. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each gate was of one pearl. And the city, excuse me, the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So we think, well, what's heaven going to be like? And we really don't even have all the details. But can I just tell you that as Jesus points it out, the hope of heaven should blow away your mind of what you think you have on earth. You know, we had went to Bali for their honeymoon. You know, those, those little houses that are out in the turquoise water, the middle of the water. How many of you have wanted to go there? And it's just, yeah, I would like to have gone there. That would have been awesome. Anybody been there that we could just come over to your house for the buffet afterwards? And so, uh, anyway, but they, so they saved money and they, they did their thing and they went and they showed pictures. And it's like, when you look at it, you go, wow, that would be awesome to go to that, wouldn't it? Oh, that'd be so great. And then they show video and you're like, wow, that'd be so great to go. Listen, we don't have video or pictures of heaven other than what the word of God tells us. But I'm going to tell you that there's a hope that one day you and I could go there and it's going to blow away. You're not going to ever say in heaven, oh man, this is so great. I wish they were here because there's no more tears and there's no more sorrow and there's no more death. You're never going to have a, oh, I love heaven, but, you know, I wish. No, I wish I had. No, I need Chick-fil-A in heaven. I think Chick-fil-A will be in heaven. But anyway, I don't think any of those things, you're never going to say it. Because, gang, we have the opportunity to, to go to heaven. And Jesus just pointing out to the Sadducees because they didn't believe in the afterlife. Listen, you uh, don't believe this, but um, I, I want you to know that there is a hope that I give. There's a hope that's bigger and better than anything that you and I can imagine. He says this in Luke chapter 20, 39. Some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you've spoken well. But after that, they dared not question him anymore. It's like, you got so much wisdom, I don't think we're going to ask you any more questions. I think we're done on the question things with Jesus. We just need to kill him now. And that's basically what ends up happening because remember, this is Wednesday of the Passion Week. He had a busy Wednesday. But you remember that verse in verse 35? It said, but those who are counted worthy to attain this age. Can I just encourage you, if you're here new, that it's not about what you do. It's not about good works. It's not about anything that we could ever do to get to heaven. It's about what Jesus did because we are wired to sin. That's the other way we're wired. We're wired to mess up. And the, and the wages of our sin 
is death. It's eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have messed up. But God wants you and I to come to that place where we not only have this hope of heaven, but that we understand that we'll never be worthy in our own merit to get to heaven, but that all the worthiness is really what Jesus did for you and for me. He died on the cross, the perfect God-man died for your sins and mine so that we could be forgiven and have the promise of eternal life. That's the incredible hope of heaven that we have. This is the being worthy. I can, I can be worthy of it. Why? Because really it's, it's all about what Jesus did. It's not about what I do. I hope you understand this is not a works-based relationship. It's all about what Jesus did. It's by grace that you and I get saved through faith. It's, it's a gift of God. It's not of works. It's, it's, it's truly a gift. It's like Lord saying, Here, here's a gift. And this hope of heaven, it's for everyone that says, yes, Jesus, I need forgiveness of my sins. Because remember, sin is going to separate you and me from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. God loves you. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know what problems you've gone through. I don't know how difficult. Maybe your marriage has fallen apart. Maybe, maybe it's been a, a, a tough year. Maybe you feel like uh, you, you just aren't worthy to even have a relationship with God. Maybe you feel so discouraged and downtrodden that you don't have a relationship with God, nor do you really even want one at this point. But yet God is saying, I love you. I care about you. I sent my son to die for you. And and you and I will never earn our worth to get to heaven, but we will get there through Jesus. And if you've never said, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, I want to help you to do that today if that's your heart to say Lord I I need forgiveness because that's where it starts I'm a sinner just like you and I had to start with forgiveness I had to start by saying Lord Jesus forgive me I've messed up I've blown it I'm not perfect and it doesn't mean your life won't go through pain but it does mean you'll be forgiven and you will have the hope of heaven You're worthy to attain that age because you're righteous in the eyes of God. Not because of what we do, because of what he did. Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your hope. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, for just blessing us with this opportunity to gather in your name.